I didn't get a chance to say it. They see it. <laughs> there are perks. Oh, that's good vodka. Okay. I shouldn't say this, but when I was preaching at 7.30, I said, boy, I really love the 7.30 crowd. And so I was going to start, boy, I really love the 10 o'clock. But then I was afraid if you speak to someone. (laughs) So I bid you greetings as my brothers and sisters. On this first Sunday after Christmas, as Father Greg pointed out, right, it's the only Sunday after Christmas. So it's easy for us to think that Christmas ended at Chris, on Christmas Day because everything leads up to Christmas Day and then it's over. And we think that Christmas is over. All the presents are opened. Most of the cookies eaten. You know, isn't it funny how the holidays, there's no shelf life? Like, <laughs> right? Like you'll have a month old cookie eaten. Sorry, maybe I'm telling too much. And hopefully, in some cases, the relatives have gone home. So I don't know about your neighborhood, but our neighborhood, you've already started seeing people hauling their trees out to the curb to be picked up. And it always makes me sad when I'm driving to work and I see all the little green fallen soldiers of Christmas. It's sad to me. And the three houses in our neighborhood, I don't know what your neighborhood is like, but the three houses in our neighborhood that managed to put up Christmas lights have either taken them down or turned them off. So all of this makes sense to you, right? Because Christmas is over. Good. Of course not. You are all familiar with the song, 12 Days of Christmas. On the 12th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Okay. So if you're interested, which I always am, isn't it Google? Google is crazy. I, I didn't realize there was so much I needed to know. So, so if you're interested to purchase everything listed in the song, this year would cost $39,094.93. You could tell the age we're living in because they also said it's $41,165.95. Since if you shop online. Now, it kind of brings up something. How do you, how do you get lords of leaping and maids of milking online? But I, I don't know, maybe a big Amazon box? I don't know. If you're also interested, the most expensive item, seven swans of swimming. They'll set you back $13,125. However, you can purchase a partridge for $20.18. So now, possibly Shira's understanding why the partridge has been running around our house since Christmas. But you understand, as Anglicans, as Christians, as knowledgeable people, that the 12 days of Christmas do not refer to those leading up to Christmas Day. Like, that's what the majority or the Yeah, the majority of people think, oh, 12 days, when does it start? Count 12 days from Christmas. No, it starts with Christmas Day. And as you also know, Christmas is actually a season that lasts until Epiphany, 
which will be for us next Sunday. So you could say on Christmas morning, the party has just got it's gotten started. In fact, some of you may even know we have um, a friend who's extremely orthodox and does not put up his Christmas tree until Christmas Day. <clears throat> but then he misses collection when he won, but it's okay. So today, this first day, first Sunday after Christmas is focused, interestingly to me, more on the theology of the incarnation and the dual nature of Christ. Our gospel reading was from John 1. I like the reading very much. The reading helps us to see that the incarnation and dual natures of Christ are not some abstract, dry theology. They are the very light of God poured into our lives. The word was made flesh, and it changed the world. There is no other God like our God who came to live among us. No other story like his story. And it has radically transformed us and radically transformed the world. I give titles to my sermon. As you guys, we've known each other quite a while now. I tend to stray at times. And having a title helps me remain focused as I prepare. So over the holiday season, I had read about Christmas miracles, claimed Christmas miracles. And it started me thinking about miracles, especially Christmas miracles. So today I entitled this sermon, The Miracle of Christmas. Right? Pretty creative, right? So what am I talking about? First of all, we need to define miracle. That's easy. You go to Webster's, who defines miracle as an event that seems impossible to explain by natural laws and so is regarded as supernatural in origin or as an act of God. Two, one that excites admiration or awe. Now, all of you, I'm sure, have heard of Uh, stories of miracles. Some of you may even believe that you have experienced miracles in your own life. I know that I've experienced events that can only be explained as an act of God, the grace of God. All right, now for the easy part, what am I talking about when I say Christmas miracle? Well, Christmas miracle is simply any unusual and happy event that takes place during December, especially December 25th, or close to December 25th. So there are many stories of Christmas miracles. Um, I watched a movie about a Christmas miracle. You may have seen it also, um, and my French is terrible, but it's Joël Noël, which, again, I'm not a a, a, a French speaker, but I would imagine it means joyful Noel, but I'm just guessing. So what that movie deals with is a spontaneous Christmas truth that occurred in 1914 between opposing sides in World War I. On Christmas Day, 1914, hundreds, maybe thousands of troops who had spent months watching their friends die in the most horrific ways imaginable spontaneously threw down their weapons and simply stopped fighting. There were no orders from above. 
No formal truths, just a thousand or more weary and unhappy men determined not to let this one day be as utterly miserable as all others. All along the battlefield in France, there were British, German, French troops. They climbed out of their foxhole and refused to fight. Instead, they sang together Christmas carols and shared food and cigarettes with one another. One British troop even started a soccer game with their German enemies, which I'm sure they referred to as football, but they'll, they'll never get that straight. Soccer. And the game is said to have been filled with sportsmanship, friendliness, courtesy, and a great deal of Christmas cheer. According to the BBC, when the BBC reported, some troops even refused to begin fighting again for weeks afterward they were so moved by the experience. Instead, they let the truce drag on to January. So imagine in the midst of the worst slaughter mankind has ever known, these scared and frightened kids, and they were kids, still retained enough humanity to make sure everyone, French, British, German, got the Christmas they deserved. Now, if that isn't a Christmas miracle, I don't know what is. Recently, I was looking for a Christmas miracle this Christmas. And this is where I found. On December 18th, the media reported the case of an 11-year-old girl in Texas. And she had an inoperable brain tumor. It was there. It wasn't like a, like a um, shadow. on. Te- it was there. Inoperable brain tumor. And guess what? It disappeared. And the doctors are at a loss. They can't explain it. The medical team is in a state of disbelief. And the girl's parents told the medical team, we've got this. We prayed for a miracle and we got one. They believe that it was God who healed their daughter. And what is the media calling this? A Christmas miracle. So, Christmas miracles are certainly wonderful, but this morning, I want to focus not on miracles occurring on or near Christmas. I want to focus on what we so often tend to overlook. It's the miracle of Christmas itself. And when I say miracles, plural, That's because I'm going to mention two. There are two great Christmas miracles proclaimed in our gospel reading that I just read for you from John chapter 1 that surpass any other miracle I could name. One is that the Son of God became man. And the other is that because he did so, we became children of God. These are the miracles of Christmas. That I consider today. So the first miracle. Son of God becoming man. You know as Christians. It's easy for us. To take this miracle for granted. But sometimes it helps us in our faith. To step step back. And look at it. Of course we recite the creed. Every week. Right. 
But step back and realize that God came down and became man. What a profound mystery this is for us to ponder. There's nothing more marvelous or wonderful than this. The eternal Son of God took on human flesh and was born and became man. He became our brother. I would call that miraculous. John introduces this miracle with the words that call us back to the beginning. He writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who was this that was with God? The word. Who is the word? Christ. This is very interesting and important theologically. In the beginning recalls the first verse of Genesis, the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What John is saying is that the one he calls the word existed even before the world began. The word was with God and the word was God. Here we find the, the mystery of the inner relationship of the Holy Trinity mentioned for the first time at the very beginning of the Bible. The word, and we know in retrospect, this is referring to Christ, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. The word was with God in what we might call a face-to-face relationship with God the Father. And yet at the same time, this one called the Word was God. That is, he is divine, true God in his very nature. The Greek word that John uses for Word, which many of you know, I'm sure, is logos. He's borrowing a term from Greek thought, and he's using it in a new way. Greek philosophers thought of the logos or logos as the unifying principle holding the universe together and which gives it order. John now takes this term and indicates that the universe is no longer held together by a principle, but rather by a person. It is this one that he calls the Logos, the Word. It is this person of the Trinity distinct from the Father, and yet one with the Father and the Godhead who creates and organizes and upholds all things. John goes on to say that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Again, think back to the creation account in Genesis 1. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, looking back, we can see that this was the Holy Trinity in action. All three persons. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is hovering over the waters. God the Father speaks, and there is light. And so the Word, 
the Logos, likewise is active in the work of creation. This is the one John refers to as the word, namely, the eternal son of God. When he says, again, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. What's being emphasized here is the divinity of Christ. Christ has always been true God. From from eternity, he is the one and only Son of the Father. You know, in the third century of the church, this teaching of Scripture about the divinity of Christ was being threatened by a heresy called Arianism. And Arianism simply taught, no, Jesus was actually created, which means there was a time when he was not. There was a time when Jesus didn't exist. So Christ, to the Arians, was merely created. Oh, and they will gladly admit it was a very fine creation, almost godlike, but not quite. If this Arian heresy had won the day, all of Christian faith, and with it our salvation, would be lost. For only God could rescue us from our plight. Only one who is the true God could accomplish our salvation. So the Council of Nicaea, with which I'm sure you're familiar, led by a great theologian by the name of Athanasius, put together a way to combat the deadly heresy of Arianism with a beautiful confession of the person of Christ, his divine nature, the Nicene Creed. They said and we say it with them, that we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, be not begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. When we read the creed, think about what that is saying. What was Christ's role in creation? Through him all things were made. Who's he? Christ. That by him him all things were made. So, which is exactly what our text is saying when John writes, again, it's kind of a, Kind of a difficultly worded sentence, but all things were made through him, and without him, not anything was made that was made. And then what does the Nicene Creed go on to say? For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit, and the Virgin Mary was made man. Here is the great miracle of Christmas. As John puts it, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Think of that. Try to wrap your mind around it. Step back and look at it. The eternal son of God by whom all things were made, he became incarnate. That is, he came in flesh as that little baby in Bethlehem. Now why? Why? Why did God's son come? In our flesh. Because it was the will of the Father. 
and namely to win our salvation. We needed to be saved from our sins. God's judgment against sin is death. And that would have been us, every one of us, cast out into outer darkness, damned and doomed for eternity. But God, in his great love for us, had a plan, an eternal plan to save us. He would send his son into our flesh to fulfill the law we had broken and could not keep. Christ would keep the commandments of God perfectly in our place. And then, although sinless himself, he would shoulder the burden of our sin and take it to the cross where he was crucified as our substitute. And because he is the very son of God, his innocent shed blood is mighty enough to cover the sins of the whole world, including yours and mine. You are forgiven now for Christ's sake. This is the only way you can be free from your guilt and overcome the grave. And that is by what the incarnate son of God has done for you. In him is life, and his life, new life, resurrection life, eternal life, is the light that is shining for you today. The second miracle, much shorter. The second Christmas miracle is that in this process, we became children of God. John tells us that too. But to all who did receive him, that is, to those who received Christ by faith, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were not born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Christmas is not only about the Son of God being born as man. It is also about the sons of men, us, being born as the children of God. So we get two great miracles for the price of one. And the price to you is absolutely free. All you have to do is accept it and live it. Trust me, I'm not going to do an altar call. But if you have not done that, you might want to think about doing so. So it's all by God's grace, free gift of Christ. So not only was Christ born and lived and died and rose again as your Savior, now the second miracle is that God gives you the faith to believe in him, to trust in him for your salvation. Through faith in Christ, you and I become God's children. We have been born again, born from above, born of water and the Spirit. In holy baptism. There in those blessed waters. God made us children and joined us to Jesus. Now we are children of God. Now we get to call on our father. In prayer. Knowing that he cares for our every need. Now we are part of God's family. The church. And what is to come for us? Well, as the children of God, we are to receive a great inheritance when 
Christ comes again. That inheritance isn't that. It's everlasting life in a resurrected and glorious body. In a renewed and restored creation, alive to God, no more sin, no more sorrow, and fellowship with all saints of all times. I don't know about you. I, I would settle for that in my stocking. So, dear friends, on this day we pause to rejoice in the two great Christmas miracles which are intimately related and connected. One is that the internal, uh, eternal Son of God took on human flesh and became man precisely to be our Savior. And the second miracle is that because of him and through faith in him, now we become the children of God forever. The Son of God became man that we might become children of God. And I praise God every day for the miracles of Christmas. Let me close in prayer. Behold, the dwelling of God is with mankind. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light, enkindled in our hearts, may shine forth in our lives through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.